Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. I'm Pastor Lyle, and we've been praying for you, praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you in his word. Through it, may you see him more clearly, know him more fully, and trust him more deeply. As always, we're here to serve, so please reach out through mountainside.online. If there's a specific way that we can come alongside to pray, help, or encourage you throughout the week. Join me now as we continue this study in the book of Mark. Amen. Praise the Lord this morning. Thank you for coming and being a part of the time that our, our family gets together and worships the Lord this morning. I know there's, there's a lot of you that are, are maybe just you know, here for this week and this week only, and we'll see you again next summer. But I hope that this morning you find this to be a place that you're loved on and that you can rest. Uh, we have been praying for you even before you came. And as I've already heard some stories that, you know, I think this last week and the, the rains and all of the things have just caused some, some struggle on some different people's lives, even some that are traveling through just here for a week at camp. And I, I hope that this morning is an encouragement I hope it's a time that you uh, find that the Lord meets you just exactly where you are this morning. He's a sovereign God, so you're not here by mistake or by chance. He planned it. He ordained it. Um, so uh, just deal with it that he has a plan for you this morning. And um, at the same time, uh, even if you're a little skeptical uh, that he knows better than you do and he actually did plan it, would you just take a moment even as we start and open the word together here um, to just in your heart of hearts, just pray, God, if, if you're real, if you're, if you're really what these people are singing about, um, that you're worthy uh, of praise, adoration, worship, that all of us showed up here today to learn about, to give uh, glory to Jesus, um, then would you just kind of in the silence of your heart pray, God, would you just meet me in this place? If you're really real, um, then would you show up in this time that your word is open? Because we believe that the word of God is powerful, um, that it can literally cut, like words can cut, right? Words from word of God cut to the core of who you are different than any other words. It has a power. It, a couple years ago, uh, someone who uh, doesn't believe in, in Jesus said to me, um, I was reading the Bible and it's really strange how it seems like the more that I'm reading, the more it's like it knows me. It's almost like, it's almost like the words have life to them. And, um, and that person still hasn't, as far as I know, come to know Jesus, but uh, is uh, on a journey toward him, I think. And uh, the power of the word of God uh, is significant. So we're praying that it, it does a work in your heart today as well. You're joining us in a study in the book of Mark. And now, as you've seen, if you've missed them, you, you can go back and, and listen to the podcast. So much less excuse for missing uh, the sermon series now that, uh, praise God, that the podcasts are up and going. And so you can just tune in and just listen to uh, just the message. And I know that that would uh, uh, be uh, just better for... I, I've, there's actually a friend of many of ours who lives in... Um, in Canada, and uh, they, they've been tuning in, listening almost for, I don't know, probably five or six years now. They listen uh, almost every week. Uh, he's a police officer, sits in his cop car with his computer on, and because we haven't had podcasts, he's just been having to have the, the video open, which I'm sure all of you have experienced, and you're like, oh, if I could just have it on my phone and have it as a podcast, I could listen to it anytime, anywhere, and so I'm just thankful that that is a possibility for, for everybody as well. But we're in Mark chapter 3 today, so the passages that we'll be in today will be on the screen, but if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Mark chapter 3. We're specifically going to be in verses 7 through 12 today, 
And um, anything that you've missed, I'd love for you to go back and to, to grab it um, as we started a few weeks back in chapter one. But today we're in chapter three, verse seven. It's kind of like a little bit of a, I would say almost like a little pause in the middle of this rapid pace that Mark is going through, talking about then Jesus did this and Jesus did this, and then this happened and then this happened. And it's almost like there's a little bit of a pause here in this passage where he talks about and he unpacks a few things about Jesus specifically that we're going to look at. Starting in verse seven, it says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. Now, at first glance, you read that and you're like, oh, it's kind of like Scroon Lake and Jesus is going to just go have a day at the lake with his boys, right? And that's not at all what it's saying. Um, it really has the idea that there is a getting away, a going away, a stepping aside, a time of solitude. But before we get there, what leads to, let's remind you a little bit of what's happened in these last couple passages that lead to the point where it says that he steps aside, he has to take a little bit of a, uh, to create a little bit of margin, um, and we're going to see how he does it and what he does with that, um, but it's because there's such this massive crowd. So let me just remind you of a couple things that lead to this point in chapter 1. You can see that this has been growing and going on over these last weeks and months. 121 says they went to Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were all amazed at his teaching. So the effect of that teaching was really quick because in chapter 128, just a couple of verses later, it says immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district or area of Galilee. So the, the word about who Jesus is and what's going on about Jesus is spreading like wow. Wildfire. We talked about it a few weeks ago, like he's gone viral in a way that had never happened before. Verse 32 of chapter one, when evening came, so they're still in Capernaum where that previous setting was. After the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill, those who were demon possessed, the whole city gathered at the door. And he healed many, cast out many demons. Verse 39 of chapter 1, he went around into synagogues throughout all of Galilee. He's preaching. He's casting out demons. Verse 45 of chapter 1, it tells us again that he went everywhere. Trying to avoid undue publicity, he found himself having to go into these unpopulated areas where the crowd, even in those areas, the crowd in an unprecedented way would find him and press him. Chapter 2, verse 13, he went again by the seashore. All the people were coming to him. We looked at this passage just a couple weeks ago. All these people were coming to him and he was teaching them. That's the way it was everywhere that he went in Galilee. The crowds just kept growing and growing and growing. Nothing like it had ever happened in the history of the world. Nothing certainly was the, this new experience of all of the people that were a part of watching what was going on with Jesus. Massive healings happening before their eyes. People being delivered from demons. It was a wonder after wonder after wonder. The likes of it, no one could have ever even imagined these things. And that brings us to what's happening right here, where the first point today, Mark is talking to us about Jesus, and that number one today, his pace was unsustainable. Jesus' pace was unsustainable. 11 different times in the book of Mark, Jesus has to step away for rest, for solitude. 
sometimes from enemies, but sometimes somewhat from friends. The friends are harder to, uh, to get away from, as we see as we'll unpack some of the passages we look ahead in the book of Mark. But this, ver- this word is that he went out. When scripture says he went out to the lake with his disciples, the went out is a left, a departed, a gone aside, a stepping aside. Now, remember, this is right on the heels. Last week, pastor went through the portion of scripture just before this in the, in the chapter three, which ended with this verse, verse six, chapter three, at once, you'll see it on the screen, at once the Pharisees went away. And then what did they do? They met with the supporters of Herod, the Herodians, to plot how to kill Jesus. Okay, so we just performed this healing in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and, and there's a big hubbub where he says, I'm Lord over the Sabbath, and now, like, only God could declare that, and he is, we're going to talk a little bit more about him declaring exactly, and there's evidence of his life and his actions of exactly who he is, but they don't like it. I mean, they are wrecking, he's wrecking everything that they live for. So they're plotting now how to kill him. <clears throat> and so Jesus, in verse 7, when it says he went out, he had to depart. He had to get away with the disciples because this large crowd is following him. He makes an intentional decision to change direction and speed, which at that time created margin. He made an intentional decision to change direction and speed at this time, which creates margin. What's margin? You guys all know what margin is? Does anybody have any margin in their life these days? I mean, there's books written on margin. There's sermon series on margin. One of the definitions that I've heard about margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. The amount available beyond what is necessary. So it's like you're driving down the road and you see the white lines on the side. From the white line to the guardrail is like the margin for error, right? So you're driving along and you're like, I've got some margin. I've got some margin. I heard that people have been, you know, were driving with trailer just yesterday, talking about coming back from Maine, driving a, a fully loaded trailer through the mountains of Vermont with all of the flooding. And in many different instances, it goes from even three lane highway to one lane highway and just barely enough margin to get through with a truck and a trailer. A couple truths about margin when it decreases. One, when margin decreases, your stress increases, right? Right now, as you're driving uh, north on 87, just north of Lake George, there's that section of, of, uh, of, of construction right before you get to the hill that goes down to, to Warrensburg. And there's that little section where it actually kind of weaves this way and then back this way and then it straightens back out. Well, you, as you get to that point, the, the margin diminishes, right? It decreases. The decreased margin there probably doesn't mean anything when you're the only car going through. You're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like race course through that, right? There's nobody around. Who cares? You can do whatever you want, right? But, but a couple of weeks ago, I'm coming up with a trailer and as I'm coming up, it's like tractor trailer, tractor trailer, a couple cars in front of me, car behind me. And so like, I'm looking at a head in, in the space and I see the truck ahead of the truck that's next to me as he's going through, he's like three or four feet into my lane. And so as the margin decreases, my stress is increasing, right? And you guys totally connect to that. 
As the margin decreases, one of the truths that happens is that our stress increases. Another truth is that your relational intimacy decreases. As margin decreases, so does your relational intimacy. You find yourself in a place of no time, I'm too busy. And what happens is you're too busy for the things that are being, uh, with the things that are being asked of you, and then you're missing the things that you've committed to. Did you catch that? Because this is a, this is a significant area of work and battles, even spiritually in my own life. I get so busy, my margin diminishes where I'm doing things, I'm busy with stuff that people are asking me to do, and I'm not successfully doing what I've committed to do. Margin. As it diminishes, stress goes up and relational intimacy, uh, stresses go up, relational intimacy goes down. I just, you just practically think about all of us who are, are married in the room, your spouse. You're not just committed, you've made a covenant with your spouse. So as you think about all the things that people are asking you to do or the, the stresses and the pulls of life, the very thing that you've not just committed to, but covenanted to God. Your relationship with God is a covenant. Your relationship to your spouse is a covenant before God. And so sometimes you've got to step aside from the things that people are asking you to do because of the things that you've covenanted to do with your spouse, with your family. Just a little bit of a parenthesis about margin related to all of the practical struggles and pull, pushes and pulls of our own lives that we know are real, um, that we see Jesus in this moment where this crowd is overwhelming. And we see 11 times in Mark where he steps aside, he gets away, he pushes in margin so that his relational intimacy does not diminish. And I don't know, you know, he was fully God and fully man. So he felt the stresses. He felt the, the, the struggle. He was never tempted in anything that, that, that we've never been tempted in anything he hasn't been tempted in. So the life that he went through is very similar to what you feel when there's a billion people that are asking for your time. So his pace was unsustainable. The crowds, the crowds that it says, they specifically says that there was this large crowd that followed him. Where did these crowds come from? How far was Jesus reach at the time? The next verse declares it in the end of seven, and then in verse eight. These people, this crowd, it came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the east of the Jordan, even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. So north, south, east, and west, these people specifically based on the information that we can gather from those places, hundreds of miles are being traversed in order for these people to come and see Jesus. Okay, so you walking to Albany is what we're looking at here in this passage, but not just a few people, thousands and thousands and thousands. And in fact, in the next verse, it talks about the news of the miracles that spread far and wide, vast numbers. So we're talking tens upon tens of thousands in a very short period of time. In fact, the area that it talks about includes over 200 cities that would have had at the time at least a population of 15,000 people in over 200 cities. So the amount of people that are now gathering to come see Jesus, to get a glimpse of Jesus, to be a part of this, this viral movement that's happening 
was a massive, massive, always growing crowd. The crowd was also not just Jewish. It was because of the places we know uh, very Gentile. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And here we see thousands and thousands that are already coming. The news had spread, it says in scripture, the news said, uh, spread, uh, the news about the miracles, his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to see him. There's this ongoing, constant hearing the way that it's described there. People are never stop hearing about Jesus and what miracles are happening. So the first thing we saw with the, that Jesus' pace was unsustainable. But the second thing we see here is that his popularity was unprecedented. Unprecedented popularity. Massive, massive crowds. Massive movement. In verse 9, Jesus had to instruct his disciples to have a boat ready so that the crowd would not crush him. Hey guys, get a boat ready just in case, because the crowd was so massive that it, the, the word is like this squeezing Jesus in, where I love the translation here that says that it, it, it could have crushed him. You've seen videos, uh, which are, are awful to see, but you've seen those stampede situations of people are just such huge crowds and they get moving. And if anybody doesn't keep up, then they end up getting run over. And Jesus is saying, I want to take some practical steps that will help in the situation if and when this happens. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us in this instant, this is, Mark's got the only uh, account of this little boat situation. There's other obvious Jesus in a boat, and we're going to see more of that as we move through Mark. But this particular situation, we don't know whether he used the boat or not. It doesn't tell us. But the boat was ready just in case. Notice Jesus took practical steps toward margin. And he asked other people to help him. Don't know if it was really needed. Don't know if they actually used it. But he took the steps necessary, he included other people who knew him, who loved him, who could be a part of accountability in that situation. Like, hey, we've got the place, we've got the situation. So when the need arises, we have a place to give you margin. Who's your team of people that are helping you with margin? The people who know you and love you the most, who care about you? Do you invite them into the stresses to the need that you might currently have for margin in your life. Some of you are here that are gonna spend a week at camp and it's probably some of your built-in margin. I hope that it's a week where you rest and you truly um, sit in the presence of God and prioritize your family, your spouse, and create margin. Talk about margin. Today, we know that it's just uh, an epidemic of families failing, um, spouses giving up, stress and mental health is off the charts. Um, we'd spend a whole, a whole message just talking about that, but you know the realities for you today. So let's take the time and the, put in the accountability, put in the uh, processes, the strategies, whatever's necessary to build margin, practical margin into your life. It said here that Jesus instructed his disciples. Disciples here, the word we, every time you hear and see the word disciples, you just automatically think of those 12 guys who were called apostles. That's the next section of scripture is the calling of the 12. But at this point, based on what we already know in Mark and some other passages, let me just clue you into who are these learners, that's the word, learners, that are a part of this group. Because at this particular time, according to chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, he's already called Peter and Andrew, James and John. 
So there's four that are already in the group that we know as being the apostles, the, the disciples. Okay, there's four. According to chapter 2, 13 and 14, he called Matthew. It's a passage that I took you through the last time that I preached a couple weeks ago. Uh, a great, great look at the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. So there's five. According to John's gospel, chapter 135 to 51, he most likely by this point has called Philip and Nathaniel. So now you've got seven of the official 12, um, but the other five will be named in the next paragraph where we're going to open the word together next week and look at them. But there's these seven guys along with many other learners, other followers who were there alongside. He has them get the boat ready so the crowd couldn't crush him. In this group, it's a huge group, right? There were some in the group who actually wanted his message. Catch this. They really wanted his message, not just watching his miracles. They wanted his message. They weren't there to just watch the miracles, but the crowds were massive. So many were just there to watch miracles. They didn't want the message. But pastor a couple of weeks ago talked about the whole reason for, in fact, uh, I, I think I put this in my notes later, but go back and listen to message three when we talk about the healing and the purpose of the healing, the purpose of, of, of the casting out of demons. And what Jesus was doing was authenticating who he was and that the message was the reason for the authentication. You now know I'm the son of God. You see me demonstrating these things. Now listen to the words I'm saying. But they weren't there for the words and the message. They were there for the miracles. I was privy to a recent conversation with somebody uh, here locally who was talking about the fact that they knew that if they chose to accept Jesus, receive Jesus, meaning they understood that God's word says that by grace alone, gift from God, Ephesians 2, through faith alone, he's the only way. That if they chose that, received that, believed that, took a step of faith to that, they were uttering these words, if I choose that, it will change my life. But... I'm not really sure I want him to change my life in that way because I know it will change my family, those around me, how they look at me, interact with me. There are many who want the miracles, but not the message. They loved the idea of Jesus, just not completely change me from the inside out, Jesus. In verse 10, it says he had healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly push forward to touch him. Okay, so there's these massive crowds. He knows that it's just gaining momentum. He's got a, a plan uh, for safety, security, and margin in case it's needed. But why is there this even this significant push to, that might crush him? Well, it's because so many people had been healed that day. All the sick people are eagerly, eagerly pushing forward to touch him. Think about the day in which they lived. No medical marvels to speak of. 
right? They don't, they don't see uh, medicine, the art of medicine, the way we do. They don't see science reduce suffering the way that we have a picture in our mind, have witnessed it, have been, it's a part of our culture, the art of medicine and science and how it impacts me. There's none of that. So you have a massive, large group of people with tremendous suffering, widespread disease, and at the time we see through scripture, significant demonic work. So if you are ill, or you're the friend of somebody who's sick, or a family member of someone who's sick, or possessed, oppressed, with demonic work in the home, the family, a person specifically, then you're going to do everything you possibly can do to get to Jesus because of the word that's spreading about what he's doing. There isn't a, well, it's 100 miles to get to Jesus, and it's only 15 minutes to get over to, to tie to the hospital. Like there is none, none of that. There's none of that. The urgency is through the roof. The opportunity is there and they would do anything possible to get to Jesus. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. They want relief from suffering, from torment. So they're coming no matter what. His popularity was unprecedented. Quick pause. You see, this is remarkable testimony that indicts the ultimate unbelief and rejection of Jesus by the leaders and the people. Because nobody denied the miracles. They all affirmed the miracles. No one denied he had power over the kingdom of darkness. They watched it happen. You're about to see another demonstration of that happening. But yet the people in mass still reject Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah. No one tried to dismiss Jesus as a fraud, not even the leaders, because his miracles were daily. They were public. It was undeniable testimony and evidence of his deity. And yet in the end, they are the ones who scream, crucify him, crucify him. His popularity at this time is unprecedented. And he reveals in this moment of healing, again, that his power is unmatched. His power is unmatched. The popularity that he had was fueled by the power that he had. They saw his power, so he's super popular. He can do the stuff that they'd never seen before, and he's the only one that can do it, so here we all come. In verse 10, it says he'd healed many people that day. He healed many Remember back in chapter 1, verse 29 to 31, also verse 32 to 34, and verse 40, and following. Then in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, there was healing, so many healings that it just referred to the fact that there were many other healings. Healings were just on display all the time. But healing is a creative act. Remember, this is Jesus. He made everything. John 1, 3, not anything was made that was not made by him. He's the creator then. He created right in front of people new limbs, organs that they couldn't see but must have been repaired, replaced in some majestic, only the creator can way. 
These things were happening right before the eyes of the people, which is why Romans 1.4 says, he was declared to be the son of God with power. And it drew everybody to him. This healing revealed that he had unmatched power over the physical world. But then verse 11, and whenever those possessed by the evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would not throw them to the, uh, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the son of God. Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. The healing revealed unmatched power over the physical world. And now this shows that he has unmatched power over the spiritual world. We saw it back in chapter one. And we continue to see it throughout the book. The response shouldn't be surprising. In James 2.19, it says that the devils believe and tremble. They believe and tremble. They're terrified of him. When they come into his presence, they're terrified. And what's the response? It says that they would throw themselves down to the ground, shrieking, screaming. The word describing the throwing down to the ground is used eight times in the New Testament. And every single time, it's about the inferior bowing to the superior. Inferior bowing to superior. You see, they knew very clearly who he was. It's a crucial proof that he had the power not only over the natural world, but the supernatural world. If he is the son of God, he has the power over creation, both material and immaterial. If he's the son of God, he has the power over creation, physical and spiritual. If he's the son of God, he must have power over Satan and demons, and he did. So what Mark tells us in this passage is that Jesus' pace was unsustainable. His popularity was unprecedented. His power was unmatched. But in both of the cases of his popularity and power, they, they were completely unmistakable. When you see those on display, you can't mistake that this declared in chapter one to be son of God, the father declares him to be the son of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased at his baptism. So he's declared to be son of God in chapter one, verse one. And 111 is when the father declares him to be the son of God. And now the demons are declaring him to be the son of God. This is Mark displaying the person of Jesus. We've looked at the pace, the popularity, the power, but now it's his person. The demons scream, you're the son of God. You are the son of God. The father declared it. The demons are now declaring it. But yet the disciples, as we look through the rest of the book, struggle with it. The people in mass missed it. Here's the person of Jesus. He's the son of God. Missed it. His popularity, unmistakable. Power, unmistakable. The person who he is, the son of God, missed it. They missed it. It's not until the end of the book. Demons declare it, demons declare it, demons declare it throughout the book. We see later that 
Peter, kind of, I think, in chorus with the others, you are the Christ. But they missed him being the son of God. And it's not until the end of the book, the very, the very, very end of the book, that it's the Roman centurion who declares, truly this was and is the son of God. From verse one to the very end of the book, Mark's trying to reveal and show the evidence of and the testimony of Jesus, the son of God. But all those masses of people who were there to watch miracles and not for his message missed it. We have the same opportunity today. As I was thinking through this section of scripture, um, just thinking about, uh, we, we've talked often, and if you grew up in church and looked at the passages and you look at the disciples, there's just so many things that they miss. But to, to think about what seems to be just so clear to us, I think, on this side, and completely missed in the moment. Um, I just was thinking about how many, how many times do we, uh, in, in a particular season of our life, maybe uh, get around someone, someone impacts your life in a way, and you just have no idea how, um, how significant that will be at a, maybe a later time in your life. You know, and I, and I was thinking through this, this picture of like all these crowds of people and then Jesus is impacting their life in this tremendous way, but they really miss the most important part of it, who he really is, who he's, who he's revealing that he is to them. And I, I don't know if you have a, a situation like this in your life. I just a couple days ago, um, had the opportunity to go and to sit with a couple people who were up here for camp for the week, um, a couple that has had a impact on my life that um, would be really hard to describe. And it's a, um, it's a, it, many of you know this couple, um, and I met them for the first time in uh, 2001 or two. Their son was at the Bible Institute and uh, had the opportunity through that year to, to, speaking to his life, a lot of things going on in his life that were struggles. In fact, um, he called me during Christmas break because his mom was like, his mom took the door off of his bedroom because she didn't trust him and she shouldn't have trusted him. And, uh, and, and, I, and I had an opportunity back then uh, to really just love on this kid. And, um, and God's done like miraculous things in his life, miraculous things. And um, I had no idea at that time as I'm, you know, spending time with this family that uh, years down the road, uh, they would end up providing for me something they had no idea was a need that I had in my life. Um, so when I was real little, uh, I was very sick, a lot of, a lot of um, uh, breathing issues, lung problems and stuff. And when I was real, I don't even remember most of it. I was in the hospital a lot when I was a baby. Lived in a bubble, you know, the old John Travolta bubble boy movie. Um, people who know me, who knew that part of my story, always make fun of me with that. Um, but uh, uh, so the medicines that I had to take when I was little uh, just destroyed my teeth. So years later, uh, my parents were church planners, like, so long story with no, you know, no uh, insurance and all that stuff. Um, and years later, this couple that I had no idea back when I was just involved in the life of their kid, loving on their kid, 
years later, they loved on me because they were both dentists. And so I end up spending now like uh, probably, uh, I don't even know, so many hours with this couple who's just loved on me. Um, and I got to sit the other day just, just um, spending time with this couple. They, I had no idea that in that time that I was building a relationship with them, that they would meet this physical need in my life. I thought about that this week because it was like this light bulb moment of when, I, so I'm just being super transparent here. So uh, a couple months ago, for those of you who are here, like I had the fake tooth in my front fall out in the middle of a sermon, okay? Some of you completely missed it that day. I just kind of tried to act like it never happened. Kind of, I, I did actually say my tooth fell out, but I think it's still like people weren't listening or sleeping and it was like over their head. So like there are moments in my life with my teeth that I would have walked to Albany in order to have my teeth fixed, right? Like what they provided for me was unbelievable. God used them in this tremendous way. And I immediately had this connection to this crowds of people that are looking for physical healing at any cost. Please fix me. Please heal me. I have no way to do this in myself. So please come provide this miracle for me. Now, this couple had no way of impacting my eternal security in my future. Just a physical thing. And God put them in my life in an amazing way. What if though, like they had the ability to do that and I'm like, no, I just want this fixed and nothing else. That is the picture of the crowd that's standing before Jesus saying, just heal me. That's all I really want. I want the, I want the miracle, but keep your message. So there, there is this part of me that gets that. Because I would have done anything to get that physical fixing. But that's just temporary. Even my teeth are going to fall back out again. But yet my soul will live for eternity. And only Jesus has the words of life. He is the son of God. Where the father said, I'm sent my son my only son. And if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Only through Jesus. Today, it's possible for you to be here like the crowd and you're like, you know what? I kind of like the good things about Jesus. Like the friend I talked about earlier who lives in town who's like, I know that like, I get completely like in a, I think in a knowledge way, information, God sent his son as a gracious gift. And it's only through the person of Jesus that I come to have my sins forgiven, that I am rescued. He is, Bible calls him a savior, a rescuer because of what he did that I can't do, none of us can do. That person described understanding it. But as soon as it was like moving from the information to like actual transformation, oh man, I don't really want to be transformed. I like myself way too much the way that I am. I, that's mind blowing. 
it's mind-blowing, I guess, on this side of it being in a relationship with Jesus. I have friends today that are still standing in the same corners in Saratoga that they were on when I was 18. I've shared Jesus with many of them. They want nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. I'm like, but it's the words of life. Like, they would love Jesus to fix their life and make it better. And there's a lot of people out there that, that hear about or see your life in Christ and they watch your Facebook feeds, which are all fake anyway, but they look at it and they're like, they're like, isn't that amazing? Like, look at their life, look at what's going on in their life. And they see the hope and they see the joy and they see how you love each other. And when the rubber meets the road, they're like, I'd love that, but could I do that without the Jesus part? Nope, nope. All of the miracles, all of the healing, all the casting out demons, pastor said it in message chapter three, is all to authenticate the most important thing, which was the message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So today, if you're here and you've never put your faith and your belief in Jesus, this physical world is passing away and you're gonna step into eternity with or without Jesus. The whole reason that he's there and he's, he's bringing crowds was for the purpose of passing along the message, the good news about Jesus. That we see later him crucified. He sheds his blood. Scripture says for the remission of sin, the price of sin that needed to be paid to satisfy the sin problem that had been there since the beginning. Sin entered the world and death by sin, death passed upon all men for all have sinned. We all have a sin problem. We fall short of the glory of God because of sin in our life. Holy God can't be in the presence of sin. So we got to do something with a sin problem. And it's all through the person of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the father except through Jesus. So today, as we sung about all about Jesus, he's the only one who's worthy. As we look in scripture, it's all about Jesus, folks. Today, I'd love to spend time with you answering more questions. Please let me know. How can I help you understand more deeply who Jesus is and what he's done for you and why you should give up the whole world? What, what, what does a prophet a man gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would look past all of the... Um, the things that maybe sometimes we wrestle with, uh, the, what, what Jesus gives us, what we get from this relationship. Um, I, I don't know if there's folks who struggle with that here or not. Um, Lord, I pray that we'd get past the miracles of Jesus and really settle in on the message that without Jesus, we have no hope today. But with Jesus, we have hope for eternity Lord, I know we all have family and friends and folks who need Jesus. And so I pray as well that I'd stir our hearts today to see the lengths at which the crowds would go to bring people who just had, a, they just had an illness, a disease. Lord, some of us have friends and family who are dying without you. And so spiritual death is significant compared to physical. That when... We are absent from the body, it says we're present with you. So Lord, I pray today that if there's those that, are, that, that may just might be here today that don't know you, that God, today would be the day that they say, enough is enough, I'm putting my faith, my trust, and the only person who can give me eternal life, the person of Jesus. 
And we give all of the glory and all of the, the, the honor. You're the only one worthy here. So even as we worship in our final song, God, may all of our hearts just adore you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.